It is Tuesday, May 6th, 2014, and this is episode 66 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight is Mr. Andrew Callett. Good evening, Jerry. How are you, kind sir? I am pretty good. Pretty good. Put way too much 151 in my lemonade, though. Is that such a thing? So, it could be fun tonight. Too Uh, much 151. Too much, yep. All right, fair enough. Can't taste the lemonade anymore. Anyhow, um, the, uh, the the thoughts and opinions we express in this podcast are, are whose? They're ours, not our employers, right? <laughs> Past, present, or future. Past, present, or future. That's right. So, I uh, I went to uh, pretty extraordinary lengths to talk to Bob this week, and I did get to talk to him. And the first thing he wanted me to say is that despite rumors to the contrary, he was nowhere near that ferry in South Korea. I swear I saw a picture of him. Uh, Well, just saying. Uh, He did pass along two important points for our listeners, and the first of which is if you happen to be investigating a breach on your network or someone else's network... And you see, let's say, hypothetically, Russian IP addresses attacking some internal servers. You may want to make sure, before you panic and crap your pants, you may want to make sure that someone somewhere uh, didn't use that netblock internally. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I vaguely recall back in the... Ancient historical texts of the early days of IPv4 that certain famed mysterious netblocks were set aside for just such purposes. In fact, uh, it, I believe there was even an RFC, perhaps 1918, uh, later supplemented by 27-something-something. I go with RFC 1918, even though it's not the most recent. That specifically states netblocks you can use for this purpose. Yeah, well, you know... Uh, one thing I have come to understand is that there are some well-meaning, however possibly uh, deranged network people who think <laughs> that by doing this, they are somehow, you know, cutting off uh, an, a possible attacker because you can't, you know, if it's if it's routed internally, you couldn't can't route externally, right? So. The problem is that, you know, over time people leave, network admins leave, and the the, the reasons for that stuff tends to fade away. That's true. That's true. And the other... knowledge. Yep. The other other thing he asked me to pass along is that log servers are really good for forensic purposes. Uh If you you have, you know, let's say you have a, you know, servers and whatnot and you export the logs to a to a log server one thing you probably ought to do is make sure that that server is properly isolated and and so let's say hypothetically a hacker compromises some of your servers it should be very difficult for that person to also compromise your log server in, in theory, in theory, because you know one of the great benefits about having log servers is that well, you have a separate copy that that persists even if a server gets compromised and you can no longer trust the logs. However, if let's say an attacker realizes where the logs are going and everything's part of an Active Directory domain and they have domain admin and they can Dope. oh yes, I think we all know where that's going. Sad face sad face so that was uh that was the 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 weekly bob update i do have a question about bob yes have we ever seen bob and the stig in the same room at the same time we have not we have not although 
Um, you know, one of the pictures I I saw there was a weird looking racing helmet in the background. Fascinating. Bears further investigation. Uh, it's it could be coincidence though. Mm-hmm. Bob's in some weird stuff. But. <laughs> Wow, the podcast just got awkward. All right, moving on. Moving on. Um, so, so Andy, uh, yes, sir. How how was your day today? Did 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 you notice anything? Day. Did you notice anything different about today? It was it was a rough day. I'll tell you, I spent a lot of it on the road, and it seemed like all the animals were fleeing from something. Like I saw them, all the birds flying in one direction, deer. It was. Something was, something was up. So I, I think it's because today is the first day of the post-antivirus world. And I'm ready for it, my friend. Oh, yeah. See, that's the, that's the links we will go to for our listeners to, to, to demonstrate the, the gravity of, of this when situation. Antivirus zombie hordes rise. Yep. Don't go to Caleb's place. <laughs> Anyhow, unless you bring tequila, then we can, we <laughs> that's can talk. True. Bring your own supplies. So, of course, we're alluding to the fact that Symantec came out and said something startling today, something shocking, something all of us knew. Antivirus is dead. Yes, there's Symantec's senior vice president for information security, Brian Dye. Yes. And uh, I think the exact quote was. AV is dead. It's not much of a moneymaker in any way. <laughs> uh, the one thing I want to point out right away that I, I really, really chuckled at is deeper into the article. So for the article, just to introduce it, and I'm stealing your thunder here, Jerry. This is the Wall Street Journal, but it's been referenced many, many, many places. Oh, yes. But this is the Wall Street Journal version. Symantec develops a new attack on cyber hacking, declaring antivirus software dead firm turns to minimizing damages from breaches. Welcome to 10 years ago. Uh, They mention... Oh, how could I have lost? Here it is. But hackers increasingly use novel bugs. Mr. Dye estimates antivirus now catches just 45% of cyber attacks. I thought that was hilarious. 45... Is there a missing decimal? Yeah, I mean, I could believe 4.5. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Although I, I guess it's it is a question of timing, right? So it may well catch forty five percent of threats from three weeks ago. That's true. Now, what, whether it can do that, you know, today, I, I, I would put it much lower, obviously. And you know, one thing I think is important to understand for everybody, and if it's not already blazingly apparent this is this was a quote given to the wall street journal right he this this person brian die is not talking to us right talking to their investors he's talking to investors he's talking to analysts he's talking to gartner he's talking to forrester however it does validate something we've been saying for a long time their plan now is to pivot and that's a technical term pivot into an adjacent yes. market. Right. <laughs> Using their synergies. He's crossing the chasm. <laughs> Inside the tornado. Wow. He's going from good to great. <laughs> Sir. This is why we shouldn't drink before the podcast. Right, keep, keep going. You're on a roll there. <laughs> I was. Sorry. Doing great. Uh, they're shifting to detect and contain, Right. They're admitting that you can't keep the bad guys out. Prevention is dead. And now they're shifting to limited exposure time, limited, uh, limiting the time to detection, and limiting the time to uh, remediate them out, which is something that I've been personally preaching for a while now, uh, though it does seem to rub certain executives the wrong way because they've spent a lot of their budget investing in prevention technologies. And I can understand... The you know human reaction to that going, why are you telling me my baby's ugly when everybody else has been telling me that this is exactly what I should be doing? And so in, in many ways, he's actually doing a service to the industry in admitting that prevention is dying. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think that's very true. So, yeah, it's, uh, it is a, is a really interesting thing coming out of Symantec. And hopefully now... 
we'll see something of a change and and hopefully a refocusing. You know, the the thing that concerns me for Semantic in particular is they seem to be chasing. I mean, they're chasing after the market, right? They're they're skating to where the puck was, and they're you know they're they're basically saying, hey, we want to be a better Mandiant than Mandiant is, or we want to be a better FireEye than FireEye is. For our southern listeners, skating to where the puck was is a reference to something they do in the north called hockey. Yes. Oh, it's sorry. Played, That's it's played right. in ice. My 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 northern roots are showing. <laughs> Uh, from way as a Wayne Gretzky quote, by the way. So. Yes. No, you're right. I mean, they recently fired their CEO. Um, Second one in two years. Right. I I may apply for the job. There's nothing like being fired as a CEO for a good exit bonus. That's right. Um. And you know they're trying. I I've actually spent a decent amount of time with Semantic lately, and they're trying really hard to come up with a story and a go-to-market strategy. And this tells me they are probably pivoting once again, um, and they're going to be starting that sort of story over. But I, at least I think they're paying lip service to the right story. We'll see if they can develop the technology. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they have to. I mean, it, it is um, – if they don't, their, their fate is kind of sealed. So I, I think um, – you know, well, they want to they want to compete with FireEye, right? That's everybody's yes. sort of and Mandiant. It's true. Um, and by the way, now Impulse breaking news: FireEye bought Impulse today. Wow. Yep. Which, if you're not familiar, is a um, network forensics tool. Nice. So that IPO money is certainly going to some some good work here. They uh, they apparently have some possibly very astute business people running that company. We'll see. You know, yep. uh, remember Network Associates? Uh, good point. Good point. <laughs> We're all, we just dated ourselves. Probably half our listeners went, who? Uh, <laughs> good old nut ass. <laughs> uh, if you're curious, if you want to see how not to integrate security companies, go look up Network Associates. It's it's entertaining. Yep, good point. So, uh th- I think the other thing they they want to get into is the threat intelligence space, which is that I mean, I think he actually says it. Did he use the term next gen threat intelligence? He did not use our our copyright pending term next gen threat intelligence two point Although uh, someday well, somebody's going to uh, somebody's going to be coming to us for that. <laughs> In any event, uh, that you know that that's the story there. I think I think it's in line with what we've been saying for a long time. Hopefully it's pretty obvious to everybody. I do think and I, I want to just point this out. I do think that despite you know despite how we dog on AV, I think there's still a purpose for AV. I don't think it's one of the things where you need to rip it out. I think there's there's a question about whether whether the cost benefit is structure properly right you know because it is it is typically a very large cost for organizations you know it it, it consumes a a a pretty healthy amount of our security budgets and and i'm not sure that is warranted but i do think that in in the context of security it does play a part right if you know if you do have an outbreak and you will have an outbreak right one of the one of the benefits is having a competent AV provider who you can work with mm-hmm. and and build some detection for. And that's, you know, yeah, they're not going to detect everything, and, but you can work I, with them. I would just say two things. I agree with your point. However, I think that is somewhat limited to fairly large enterprises, having the ability to get the AV vendor to turn on a dime for them and develop that files quickly. Um, Fair point. <laughs> I would also say... I live, in a, that, I live in a weird world, I suppose. Yes, Yes, you know, you're just a one percenter of the business world, aren't you? Uh, that's what they tell me. Business class warfare. Anyway, uh, what was the point? Oh, yes. I fear AV can give a false sense of security to a lot of executives. Yep. yep. So that is where I, you know, kind of come down against AV is not because I don't think it's useful at all, but I think it's people overestimate its usefulness. Yeah, we, I mean, we were pretty well prepared against Heartbleed. I mean, we had AV running, so. 
and you're PCI compliant. That's right. Oh yes. Um, so, so there there was one other quote in here which I thought before we move on, I, I just wanted to call out. Analysts say semantic software runs on so many machines that it may be able to provide more guidance on which hackers can be ignored and which are a problem. That's their threat intel angle right there. We've got sensors everywhere. And, you know, I've been doing this for a while, and I'm a little dubious about the ability from a network of sensors to be able to objectively discern a benign hacker who is on your your server from a, uh, you know, I don't know, a malicious, <laughs> they're all malicious, right? From a hacker that's going to rob you blind? I don't I know. The benign hackers are going to be the name of my next cover band, first off. Second off, if they're going to use this network of sensors to detect the really bad guys, first they have to, oh, I don't know, detect the really bad guys. Man, you know, you're very insightful tonight. (laughs) Don't you mean angry? (laughs) Being polite. (laughs) I know, they're often one and the same. I'm angry when I'm insightful. I'm insightful when I'm angry. All right. All right. Shall let's we move, move on? Let's move on. Next story I've got is from The Consumerist. The title is Target CEO Clocks Out in Wake of Data Breach. And mind you, there are many, many, many articles that cover this as well. I don't know why I picked The Consumerist. It's just the first one that came up with my RSS feed. Uh huh. Uh huh. So before we even get into this, I am predicting right now. Seventy-nine point six percent of all information security companies' marketing departments are currently rewriting their slide deck to say ignoring information security concerns can get your CEO fired. Absolutely. There has been a plethora of, uh, of, of articles recently that, over the past day that I've read. If, you know, are, you in the, are you in the consumer space? You, you, now have a, you, want, you now have a new job duty. Or are you a CEO? I'm sorry. Are you a CEO in the in the consumer market? You now have a new job duty. And you know, did you not have that duty before? Right. <laughs> is it really new? But it is a big bit of a big deal. I mean, this is a huge organization, and to lose your CEO over a data breach is a pretty big deal. Yeah, well, the one thing I want to, I, I just would like to point out is, so far as I know, there hasn't been any direct linkage that he was fired. He was well, true. He left. He, he resigned. Right. He resigned. Yeah. And now, Absolutely. was he asked to resign? We don't know. I mean, the, the guy's probably gone through hell and back over the past couple of months. Uh, I ask you to resign every day. It doesn't do any well, good. Well, that's true. <laughs> Keep keep trying, man. Um, but yeah, the, we don't know, right? The, but it's. I think it's fair to say it plays a part. Yeah. Well, the other. I guess the other point is, what's the bigger context? You know, was it was this the last straw? You know, have, have they just been fed up with them and they're like, God, we got to get rid of this guy, or you know, or, or we we don't really know. I'm not convinced that we have the full story, and I'm not convinced that that uh, boards are going to just start f- indiscriminately firing CEOs because they get breached. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I can agree with that. But it would be interesting. Yeah, well, I, now, now that's not to say that, you know, kind of like every other thing that comes down the line, we can certainly milk this for all it's worth from <laughs> from the perspective of justifying our jobs and, and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I... I'm just I'm just a little skeptical that that was the uh, the, the main the main driver behind him leaving. Uh, you know I don't know we we may never know. Yeah, it's an interesting contrarian view, viewpoint. We will have to uh, see if we can ever find out the truth yep. when somebody writes a book ten years from now. Absolutely. So the the next story we've got comes from TechNet, and last week when we talked, there was a you know a, a horrible, terrible. Zero day in Internet Explorer that was going to consume the Earth, and uh, particularly because XP was vulnerable and was uh, not going to get a patch. Well, 
in the ultimate display of brinkmanship, brinksmanship, Microsoft backed away. Well, there's been a lot of debate I've seen on the interweb about this move. Yeah. Yeah, I can tell you. I mean, I'm a little I'm personally a little angry about it because I went through I went through a lot of uh, a lot of hell in my my own organization trying to justify why people had to get off and go through a pretty intense amount of pain. And then, you know, here we are. Now, the other thing that I find really interesting is kind of uh, related to this you know, by now, I was promised that all of the hackers across all of the world would be unloading their zero days for XP, and I've not seen it. Well, it's because Symantec hasn't detected them yet. Oh, is that it? <laughs> <laughs> well, let. In all seriousness, they're going to take a little more time than that, right? To to start really ramping that up if they're really going to do that. But yeah, so I do think there's something to be said here. First of all, it's a big deal when, when we've got an actively exploited O-Day, uh, o Zero-Day, whatever, however you want to say it. And for Microsoft to release an out-of-cycle patch, thank you, we appreciate that. But for them to patch XP kind of undercuts a lot of the messaging that we've been saying for a long time about getting off XP. Absolutely. And if I were an organization that was paying a whole buttload of money to keep getting patched for XP, I'd be like, hey, what's up with that? Yeah. Yep. So some people have argued that this is just enabling bad behavior. It's it's reckless to keep helping people in XP. It's in everybody's best interests for them to get off XP. It takes a village and all that jazz. But I'm sure Microsoft did a very careful analysis of the pros and cons from a PR standpoint and made the decision. So the question is, are they, are they going to continue to patch for really extraordinarily bad things in XP? Or was this a one-time event? That's a good question. You know, there, there was, uh, there was some, some debate I listened to, and it w- was pretty interesting. Obviously, their position was, you know, hey, not even a month had passed since, since XP had gone end of life. And, you know, because, because of that, we, we feel, uh, you know, obligated or, or duty bound to provide the patch. But somebody else pointed out that one of the advantages they get when they sunset this is they're, you know, they don't have to go through all the QA and, and whatnot. And they don't have to have the, the big testing infrastructure uh, around XP. But, you know, one of the interesting things is, is because they've, undoubtedly sold a pretty intense number of contracts extended support contracts that stuff is all staying around anyway so now that's not i mean what you said is absolutely true if if you were one of the organizations that spent a boatload of money and and from what i understand they're pretty they're pretty ruthless about uh about what they charge for this uh i would be pretty unhappy too so I guess there it is. Anyhow, uh, kind of related to that is another story. It's not really a story so much as a post on Slashdot. And the, the it's really a question, and it was how to communicate security alerts. And so the, the particular question being posed here was, again, related to this Internet Explorer Zero Day. And it, it, if you weren't aware there was a lot of hoopla that came out came out about it and and personally i was a little frustrated because in my own organization i had lots of people i mean just a parade of people coming to me saying oh my god have you heard about this what what do we, no no haven't heard about it what do we tell me what do we do, do we, <laughs> what do we do have you heard about this and uh and, and I, it's the second or it's at least the second one this year that is as bad and you know it this happens relative with, with relative frequency. I would say probably at least once a quarter, we see something like this. And I think the thing there was two things that that drove this into the media to be the spectacle that it was. Number one was Heartbleed. I think the media is out there saying, "Okay, what's next? What what vulnerability are we going to latch onto next?" And and the other one is the the XP. Uh, sunset angle you know this is the this is the the first bug that's going to go unpatched in xp 
So I promise you, this is not the first bug that's got a passion. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> I assure you of that, my friend. Touche. <laughs> Touche. But um, but but back to the back to the the question here. You know, we the Department of Homeland Security published a. Uh, I don't know if it was them or U.S. Cert published a bulletin that basically said, "Stop using Internet Explorer." It's horrible. The world is ending, and the question is, what do we do? What? How do we communicate to our organizations? What do we say? And I thought this was an interesting question for a couple of different aspects. It's also an interesting question of how do you handle communication in a crisis situation where your email may be compromised, or your phone system may be down, or yes, what is your disaster communication plan? Yep. How do you handle? Dissemination of critical information from an InfoSec standpoint to a large enterprise in an efficient and reliable manner, especially when you're under some sort of phishing attack. Yeah. And so I thought it was an interesting one, food for thought of what would you do? How would you think of it? And, you know, some of the comments were interesting. Um, some people talked about using GPO group policy pushes out to the Windows boxes and blocking IE and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. You know, the other thing is you got to be careful about doing mass changes like this because you're going to end up causing a lot more problems than you fix. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of things, sadly, whether we like it or not, that are dependent upon IE. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes the right answer is, well, let's keep running IE, but let's keep a really, really close eye on it. Right. I, so, so I, I thought about this for a little bit, and you, you bring up a good, a good point about the what I would call communicating in adverse conditions, and I want to come back to that in a minute. That was much more articulately put than my version. Thank you. Well, it's, I mean, t- to be honest, it's something that I've been putting a lot of thought in into. So, <laughs> you, you and the wife not communicating well. Well, yeah, you know. Sorry, I'm taking off topic. Going. Maybe she didn't spend so much time with Bob. Well, that's true. That's true. Anyhow, um, yeah. Boy, you just derailed my train of thought. So, Sorry. Communicating in adverse yeah. conditions. Yeah, yeah. I want to come back to that. And I want to, yeah. I want to, I want to dwell on uh, the other topic, which is what do you communicate? And in my, the best advice I could come up with is think this through ahead of time. Figure out – you know. I mean, we know – with really high confidence that sometime in the next 24 months, there's going to be a really critical vulnerability in Firefox. There's going to be a really critical vulnerability in Internet Explorer and in Chrome. There's going to be probably five or 10 really critical vulnerabilities in Flash Player and maybe 20 or 30 in Java. And what do you do when that happens? Think it. Think this through. Come up with what your action plan is. Don't wait until this happens because you know it's going to happen. It's just, it's it's almost like the sun rising. Indeed, and and you're right. Which is going back to in many ways some of the philosophy we've talked about of assuming you're going to get popped, assuming yeah. everything is breachable. Right. How are you going to deal with it? Are you going to deal with whitelisting? Are you going to deal with with um, hypervisor level? where you're actually virtualizing the desktop or virtualizing the instances of your browsers and having them right. survive being being breached and because you destroy that 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 VM and recreating. Yeah. You know, there's a couple of different ways to deal with that if you go with the assumption we're going to get broken into. Yeah, and, and maybe it isn't even that complicated, right? But just I think part of it is Really going to real? It's going to be very specific, kind of as you always say, right? It's it's very local. Security is local, and the the thing that you are going to do for your organization is not going to be the same thing that I do for my organization because right. my organization is probably uh, maybe a lot bigger than your organization, or we use different, you know, slightly different technology. We might not use Active Directory, or or you know, we do and you don't, or or things like that. And so the things that are possible to do are, are are very different between the organization. So I think it makes sense for your organization. If you have a reliance on Java and there is some really horrible Java bug that comes out, which 
by the way, Shocking. we know is going to happen. This is not surprising. And and if you care, right? I mean, maybe you don't care. I don't know. If you, but if you care uh, and you want to be able to take action because you know this this let's say Java bug or IE bug or Chrome bug or whatever is being actively exploited out there, and you need to take action. It's really helpful to know what you're going to do. Is it is it you're going to push out a you know a, a GPO that's going to disable Java or blacklist Java? Are you going to block it at your your web gateway, you know, what about people who are, you know, traveling or, you know, not, not going through your gateway? You know, there, there's lots of things to think about. Point is, think about this stuff first. Yeah. Especially these things, because these are like dime a dozen. They happen all the time. And sometimes mm-hmm. they're going to be, sometimes they're going to be really bad, you know, the, the, and, and I think what's, what makes them really bad is the kind of like the heart bleed thing. It's the amount of exploitation that's happening, not necessarily the uh, you know the, the actual bug itself. Because again, you know this Internet Explorer thing, there was a whole lot of hoopla, not a lot of exploitation happening. But that might not be the case next time. You know, and there's always the ch- chance that there's a whole lot of exploitation and no hoopla. That's a good. You point. have to make a call on your own without that's, any guidance. That's a really good point. <laughs> That's a really good point. So you never know, right? And I think the key is you said it first. Think about it ahead of time. Yep. Yep. And you know the other the other thing I'll just throw out here is it's really difficult to plan for everything, especially unknown unknowns. So you know, don't get into paralysis by trying to come up with all these plans for you know pocket cases and one percent possibilities. But I, I would say approach it from a standpoint of what is your most critical business function, what's your most critical business data, and orbit out from there. Yeah, yeah. And what are the most likely things that are going to happen? It's just like DR in that in that you yeah. know, case, you know. That's right. Yeah, you know, it's uh, you know, yeah, you your building could get hit by a meteor, but it's probably a lot more likely to catch on fire. From the meteor hit next door? Well, you know, see, that's the beauty about disaster recovery and this. It doesn't matter why it caught on fire. I, 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 I would care. That's a hell of a story. Well, I mean, after you put the fire out, you, you know, you All can right. sell your book and be on Oprah. <laughs> oh, Oprah's not on anymore. Sorry. Oh, crap. Show yeah. my age. Oh, so yeah. Um, the Let's other, move on. Yeah, the other thing, the other side of that conversation was the what I called the communicating in adverse conditions, and this is a similar this is a similar kind of thing where uh, you know, and it's it's going to be very very dependent on your organization. Are all of your people in one building? Are they scattered across the campus? Do they all work from home? Are they on opposite ends of the planet? Do you have you know Do you have email and instant messaging and you know everything else, and I think the the point is, and this is this is probably not just a disaster recovery kind of discussion. Uh, I'm sorry, not just a security discussion, but also a disaster recovery discussion. How are you going to communicate? You know, because let's look at the Syrian Electronic Army. I mean, what is their mo? They they compromise accounts uh, on your email system, and then they leverage the fact that. You know your your IT or your security group is sending out instructions by email, and then they get to follow right. the instructions and stay a step ahead of you. What are you going to do then? Just a random idea: have an air gap system that can send SMS messages to every cell phone in the company. That, there you go. Yep, just an idea. Uh, and th- by the way, there's services that do that, right? You can sure. Uh, I, I can't think of the name of some i think dell has one there's a there's a quite a few of them now where you can you know you you can pre-program different messages and and contact methods plenty of options i think the key is have something set up before you need it yes yes while it's happening it's too late yeah it's too late think about it first all right the uh the next story we've got comes from network world the title is Surveys. Survey, execs clueless, security pros unsure in fighting cyber attacks. I know, this Woo. is such clickbait. Well, 
Yeah, and and so it's a Ponymon Pokemon survey, which I love, and sponsored by WebSense. Yes, and but so, at least they hit five thousand people. They did, which Absolutely. is better than we surveyed twenty six. That's true. Now, I, I do want to point out one detail about why some people dislike Ponymon surveys or reports because. They are generally based on the output of of surveys, right? And and as opposed to an analysis of objective data. And and so, you know, you gotta you have to you have to understand that for every person that gets asked the question, there is potentially some bias in the response, and you, you that that all gets totally it's it's very very opaque but anyway if you get past that some of their points are that we need to focus less on the technology problem which i agree with and focus more on what they call shared intelligence which is uh you know different way of saying threat intelligence as well as communication between security groups and the ceo and the board which is probably not a bad thing also given the context of what we just talked about with Target and, and organizations really needing to understand where their risks are and you know, uh, that these things need to be taken seriously by, by upper management. And the right kinds of investment and risk mitigations need to be put in place. Otherwise, you know, these boards and, and executives aren't doing their, their duties. So I think that makes sense. Yeah. You know, one thing I thought about when I was reading this too is it going back to the AV sort of mindset is is it possible that a lot of these executives think they're doing due diligence but they're stuck in a 10-year-old defensive posture. That is an excellent point. And and I I honestly think that is highly likely to be the case. And and it's probably not just executives, right? I mean, yeah. I suspect there's a certain number of security people who have that feeling as as well and you know, in fact, they 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 throw out a number here that six in ten believe that they are inadequately. I think it's six in ten security pros believe they are inadequately protected from cyber attacks and theft of confidential data. And I, you know, I have a hard time. I, I got to tell you, I I unless unless we didn't use computers in my organization, I'm not sure that I would ever say that I'm confident. <laughs> that were adequately protected against a cyber yeah. attack and breach. So, so you know, I have a hard time. I have a hard time with that. Yeah, I agree. And then, you know, there's kind of a bias in there of when somebody calls you up and says, "Hey, are you safe?" <laughs> you Absolutely. Of, of course, I am. Yeah, will my Will my manager hear about this? <laughs> right. But it does point out. I, I see this play it all the time where. The frontline management and you know the grunts in the field are asking for more tools, more staff, more budget, and the executives are saying, "No, you've got enough." Mm-hmm. That can play out as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it it seems to be a something of a push for um, you know for for more information sharing. I did find this one other stat really interesting. Um, quote, as to the relationship between the company's leaders and security pros, eight in ten of the latter, that would be the security pros, believe upper executives do not equate losing confidential data with lost revenue, the survey found. So they're saying 80% of the companies think that it doesn't cost them any money if they lose confidential data. I I think that that is kind of odd. First of all, it's an oddly, it's an oddly worded question. It's mm-hmm. asking the Security pros, do you think your executives think X, Y, Z? As opposed to asking the executives themselves, do you think X, Y, Z? Right. But it shows perhaps a fairly strong disconnect in communication and uh, you know, shared vision between these, these layers of the organization. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely agree that that highlights a, a, a disconnect. And especially when you start asking, performing surveys about when you where you ask someone what someone else thinks you know i i think you get 
you always get some really interesting data because I, you know, obviously they don't know what they think, but it is an interesting data point to be able to say, Hey, you know, I, I don't know that you can trust that data as, as, as representative of what is actually the case. But what's more interesting to me is that that number of people, the security people think that their executive management has that view. And that's, I think, a, a concern in and of itself. So, um, yeah, anyhow, the, uh, the next story we have comes from a, a, a very narrow vertical blog <laughs> called the real estate business online dot com dot au. <laughs> but, but I thought it was a pretty interesting story. Um, the, the the story here is cyber thieves steal $50,000 from a real estate agency. And they don't exactly know how this happened, but essentially what appears to have happened is uh, a computer that was used in uh, to perform banking transactions for this real estate agency uh, was compromised with malware. Uh, now, exactly how the malware got there, it's speculated that it either came from an email, and I loved the way they phrased it, right? It came from Facebook or a compromised email. I'm not sure what a compromised email is, but... Um, I would guess an email account that's been compromised? <laughs> I I think they meant an infected email, but... Yeah. Um, the, the, the writing in this now... You know, again, it's a like I said, it's a narrow blog. Plus, it's an Australian. Yeah, we. Let's, I'll just listen to. I'll just read off one quote that's very telling. We got done all right, said Miss Reed. All right, <laughs> that, that that could be Australia or it could be South Atlanta. I, yeah. I, <laughs> I yeah, I had, I had the same thought, but but anyway, the, the what I thought more interesting is here's a really. Uh, really obscure real estate blog talking about one of their, you know, real a real estate company in Australia getting hacked, and they're talking about instituting zero tolerance for using Facebook and non-company email on work computers. Interesting. Which you know, I I wonder where I've heard that before. <laughs> the point point there is. This is this has got to get out wide, far and wide to businesses big and small, and then by the way, in this case, apparently in Australia, the banking laws are a little bit different because the uh, this company got reimbursed for their losses by their bank, but but that's not the case here in the U.S. and in many other countries. Look, this is this stuff is commodity. You do not have to be targeted as an organization to 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 get you know, to fall victim to this. It's, it's out there. It's being mass emailed. You you need, especially the smaller companies who don't have sophistication, right? You gotta, you gotta not check Facebook on your cash register or, or, or your, uh, or the computer that you do your online banking from. I mean, this is, this is, uh, it's, it's, it's really difficult. I think for, non-security people to understand why and somehow some way this is this message has got to get out that's that's kind of what i had to say about this story i would agree and uh, and the final story we have tonight is not really a story it is a report from imperva which really resonated with me because the the title is non-advanced persistent threat which i thought was a fantastic article because I I am endlessly frustrated by people, especially the breached companies coming out and saying, Oh my gosh, it was, you know, we were hacked by this really advanced group. Hang on, hang on. I'm registering non-advanced persistent threat firewall as a trademark. I'll be right back. (laughs) The napped, (laughs) the napped. And, and this, the, the, the net point here is that there are a lot of what would otherwise be considered advanced techniques are are actually pretty basic and don't require all that much 
all that much skill or, or, or capability. And they, in fact, they actually walk you through in depth on how to use some of these tools to, to, you know, wander around inside a, an organization that has active directory. And, uh, uh, I think it's, from my perspective at least, I think it's a, a really good lesson that, you know, the, the adversaries who are able to pull this stuff off aren't always sitting in a, you know, a big military complex in China or or something like that. This is, some of this stuff has become um, really easy to pull off. And so they, they do, uh, you know, it's it's a 13-page report. I I definitely recommend you read it. It's a good read, quick read. Their key findings were, uh, number one, data breaches commonly associated with APT can be achieved by relatively simple and commonly available means and basic technical skills. Number two, Windows functionality combined with seemingly innocent areas of file shares and SharePoint provides attackers with a stepping stone to an organization's most critical data. Read this is really cool. Uh, read about their uh, you know their uh, poisoning of the well. It's pretty interesting how how they uh, they leverage some uh, icon links back to a, a compromised computer to to perform a pass the hash attack. I thought that was pretty creative. Uh, number three, even accounts with basic privileges can utilize built-in Windows functionality in order to poison local machines, allowing them to gain access to more privileged accounts. And and by the way, they go through a couple of techniques in here. There's a lot more. I mean, there's a, there's a oh, yeah. whole bunch more, which are equally easy to to perform. So you know, don't don't think this is a you know this is the end end all. Their their main conclusions are number one. While upgrading to a more secure authentication protocol is always a good idea, and, and what, what they're basically talking about there is that NTLM and NTLM v2 have some, you know, some structural problems, and, and Kerberos is really the way to go, uh, although it creates its own set of problems. It's not the silver bullet for stopping APTs. You may actually need relatively simple file security to protect against a significant threat. Uh, number two, mitigation of these kinds of attacks should focus on monitoring. And this is an important one, I think. Should focus on monitoring the authentication process itself and on the data access patterns rather than the authentication protocol and the authorization mechanisms. That's a, I think that's pretty important. Number three, privileged processes inside the network that routinely authenticate to endpoints are a potential threat vector. That is also good, and, and I would say not only that, but... Uh, your help desk technicians periodically logging into workstations to perform maintenance tasks are, are also a potential threat. So, um, you know, it's a good report, I thought. Indeed. I, I, see you, I see the security cat is on the desk. Yes, Caesar the security cat is making a guest appearance on the program. <laughs> I've been gone all day. Apparently he feels unloved. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting. And... You know, one comment I'd make is, is the bad guys only need to be as smart as they need to be, right? They, they don't need to be overly complicated. If, if they've got a technique or a skill set or they've bought a package or whatever that works, they're going to use it. Yeah, I, I, I would say, I would even carry it a little bit farther and say this, that today's script kiddies have a lot more tools available to them. You know, this is, there's a lot of these patterns that are very well documented. The tools are... I mean that have become somewhat refined in in how they operate, and you know you don't have to be a you know a, someone who can write an exploit in order to pull off some of these attacks. You just need to have some pretty basic knowledge and be able to follow instructions that you find on on some hacker forum. I mean, hell, look at Metasploit. Exactly, exactly right. So, anyhow. Those were the stories for today. Just a reminder: I, I, I I'm, I'm going to DerbyCon. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, other people who listen to this podcast will be too. I don't know if you have figured that out yet. I, I need to. Um, thank you for the reminder. Absolutely, it's a great show, by the way, for everybody listening. Parties are epic. Uh, the, <laughs> the ceiling tiles fell out of the. Out of the ceiling last time at one of the 
party. The music was so loud. That was pretty cool. Oh, my. Yeah. Yep. Um, let's see. Uh, by the way, there are... I'm, I, I am... Uh, I'm overtaxing myself again. There's a bunch of online classes right now going on that are just fantastic. There's one, uh, if, you, if you're not familiar with Coursera, for those listening, go out and, and take a look. It's so cool. We, I, I'm convinced we live in one of the best times in, in human civilization because I can go and I can uh, take a uh, you know a course from kind of you know, hundreds of different courses from all over the world for free and uh, anyway there's one on inferential statistics which is really really applicable to the information security world and risk things like risk assessments and whatnot the other one that just started is uh, called exploratory data analysis it's um it looks looks to be pretty cool Um, there's another another one that that uh, i just found out about today from the sira mailing list, the Society of Information Risk Analysts, called Decision Quality 101. And if, in case you're not aware, um, risk assessments are essentially a branch of a science called decision, decision sciences. And, uh, and I think generally we as an industry don't do a very good job of, of performing risk analysis and risk assessments. So um, I I am actually looking forward to taking this class because I think we have a lot to learn. I think there's a lot of other industries and and uh, you know areas of business who do a really good job, uh, and in particular areas like uh, uh, health. Does a does a very nice job. Epidemiology, for example, does a really nice job of of risk assessments and and things like that. So you know, there's some opportunities for us uh, to learn. And, and anyway, uh, go out there and and, and uh, you know, learn. You you make yourself more valu- valuable, and and uh, hopefully that'll help your career. Uh, anyhow, uh, also if that's not enough, I'm still reading the uh, the book from Adam Shostak called Threat Modeling. It's the god awful longest book I've ever read, but it's pretty good. So I, I recommend you uh, take give that a look. And uh, with that, anything else you wanted to bring up? No, I think you covered it. Uh, I think uh, thanks for listening. And once again, appreciate you guys joining us tonight. Hopefully, this was useful and valuable, and hopefully, you guys enjoy it half as much as we enjoy putting it together. Absolutely. Thank you very much for your time, everyone. Have a great one. Oh, and you can find the show on the internet with the show notes, back episodes, all all that good stuff on the, the internet, www.defensivesecurity.org. You can find uh, the show on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can follow Mr. Callet on Twitter at Lurg and me on Twitter at MaliciousLink. And with that, I bid you adieu, and we will talk again next week. Bye. Good night. See you. Bye-bye.